Broadcasting from occupied territories, War the Flea Media, it's the Reality Dysfunction Podcast. A space where a diverse group of brown folk from across the nation explore the political experiences and social future of our Chicano Latino community. Control the narrative, resist the dysfunction. All right, so welcome to today's Reality Dysfunction Podcast. Feliz mes de orgullo LGBTQI. Happy LGBTQ Pride Month. We love our past histories at the Reality Dysfunction. Today, with a special guest, we go back to our Latinx stories of the 80s. We will explore the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, usually referred to as ACT UP, and its Latino Latina Cacos of New York. Its relevance and importance using personal narratives and stories from over 40 years ago. And why the past is so relevant to our presente y our futuro. Why was the work of Latinx HIV positive individuals and their allies and companions so relevant and applicable for today? So of our co-hosts, who do we have here, dysfunctionals? I'm Alex Lozada, and I'm in Brooklyn today. Hi, Alex. Good to be here. We miss everybody else. I'm Juan Carlos Vega out of Washington, D.C., specifically stationed in Durwood, Maryland. So our invited special guest is Julian De Mayo, born in Colombia to Chilean and Colombian parents and raised in Canada. Julian De Mayo is a memory activist and media professional living in the United States, currently in New York City. I met Julian back in 2019 when I was living temporarily as a New Yorker while helping our co-host Alex recover from some health concerns, right? While she was, you know, at first I thought when I was writing this, is she tailgating you know, at MSU, because many times I go to New York City so that she can go tailgating and I babysit her boys. But when I'm in New York City for about a month and a half and my great friend, Jose Santini, hola amigo, an Act of Latino Latina Caucus member told me of a young guy who was collecting the stories about what happened back in the days of the Act of Latino Caucus of New York City. He told me to go talk to him to talk to Rita and to check out Julian's work. That's when I went to his exhibit at the LGBTQI Brooklyn Community Pride Center on Fulton Street, of course in Brooklyn, New York. I cried as I saw my friend Jose and other people I knew reflected on those images as part of the exhibit stories. By then, I had already tried to contact Fernando Mariscal who photographed many of the members and works of the Act of Latino Caucus. In my interest as a librarian to archive our stories, I wanted to help Fernando archive his stories, many photographs he has taken, in hopes I could place them safely in the hands of the Cesar E. Chavez collection at Michigan State University still hoping to find a safe place for his memories. I cherish the two times Fernando shared his stories and some photos with me while drinking coffee in New York City. So I want to hear more of these stories and I want to share with my dysfunctionals and our listeners. 
ACT UP stands for Aid Coalition to Unleash Power. And in order to have Spanish-speaking, Latinx, trans, and other non-white voices, the ACT UP Latino Caucus of New York emerged. So let's start by having Julian telling us a little bit about what is and what ACT UP and why was there a need for a Latino Latina Caucus? Great, thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Juan Carlos. Thanks, Alexandra. Um, so for those who don't know, uh, ACT UP came about in the mid 80s. So 1987 is uh, when it's formed. And it was formed um, by uh, Larry Kramer, who passed away last year. Um, and it was in response to the lack of political mobilization happening, in, particularly in New York City, around HIV AIDS. And Larry Kramer felt that even LGBT organizations and healthcare organizations in the city weren't taking political action um, to sort of bring the conversation uh, and the sense of urgency around what was happening um, in, uh, in the communities in New York. And so uh, in 1987, ACT UP is formed, and it has that sort of um, tone to it. You know, it's it's not sort of a, a, a gay pride organization. It's not, um, uh, you know, it, it really is advocating in a, uh, using direct action, aggressive political um, tools to bring um, uh, attention to the AIDS crisis. And so this, the way that this manifests in, um, you know, blocking streets, protests that that, that involve interrupting uh, the movement of people, you know, it takes place, uh, you know, say, taking over St. Patrick's Cathedral, for example, or uh, Grand Central Station, creating noise, and then also using media, which I think is an interesting part, like really leveraging media as, um, as a, uh, uh, as you know, as an ally in a way, you know, using spectacle um, so that these actions, even if, you know, they were, you know, even if it was just 50 people, even if it was just 100 people, could have an impact and a resonance throughout the city of New York. So I think that from its inception or from early on, you know, there were Latino people, Latinx people involved in ACT UP. And so that is, you know, super important to realize, even though the Latino caucus doesn't become, you know, uh, a caucus until 1990, there were all kinds of Latinx folks that were involved in the different working groups. Um, another important uh, thing to, to acknowledge about ACT UP, it, it was a decentralized system, you know? So, it, 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 I mean, ACT UP, a lot of people would say inspired in some ways um, how Occupy Wall Street was formed, uh, even how BLM in some ways is structured as a, a political movement that's decentralized, no one spokesperson, uh, but working groups that sort of create an ecosystem, uh, you know, that feeds off of one another. Um, and so, again, Latino folks involved in several different working groups, um, attending all kinds of demonstrations from 1987 to 1990. However, uh, uh, the precursor to the Latino caucus was um, the Spanish language committee. Uh, and so 
what they were doing was translating. That, that was their job. You know, they were like translating um, all these uh, materials and documents. Um, and I'll go back. I'm sorry to be jumping around, but another really, really important thing to to understand about ACT UP is that a lot of the, the the meat of what was happening was like calling attention to the urgency of AIDS um, in New York and the U.S. at large, but then also pressuring for for government action to enact policies that responded to to that urgency, as well as pressuring uh, pharmaceutical companies to develop uh, HIV drugs, right? Because basically by 1987, the AIDS crisis, oh, another important thing, like we are now, like this is the 40 year, 40 year anniversary. Like 2021 is the 40 year anniversary of when HIV AIDS makes its uh, uh, intro into the headlines of US, uh, you know, into US media. Um, so imagine, so ACT UP, you know, founded 18, um, 1987, you have already, you know, a, a pandemic, a huge pandemic, you know, that's that's making inroads, you know, in all the urban areas, particularly urban areas of, of the U.S. Um, so by eight, 1987, tons of people have died. We're seeing Reagan doesn't even mention HIV AIDS until 1986. So again, it's like this, silence. So when you talk about ACT UP and even the name, you know, it mentions anger because that was a spirit behind it, right? It was really people that were angry of the silence, of the shame, uh, and the complete um, inaction, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, if we were to compare this to what happened with the COVID-19, uh, what's happened with the COVID-19 uh, crisis, you know, it's like, the entire world rallied, streamlined vaccines, you know, uh, streamlined research and communication, you know, uh, information about this. Well, that didn't happen with the AIDS pandemic, you know, and it took a lot of, uh, of pressure from, from uh, civil society, you know, to get this on the radar. And why didn't it happen? I mean, of course, because it was perceived and it was written about in media as something that was afflicting uh, gay men, sex workers, and later on it was uh, intravenous drug users. And then, and then, and then to add to that, you know, the, the narrative changes throughout, you know, the course of the of the pandemic. But then it also becomes, you know, Haitians, immigrants, you know, like that that kind of. So that's something that you know, you know, I, I look at uh, as well in, in my work. But so anyway, so you have uh, this anger, you know, the, the treatment stuff. Uh, so, so then ACT UP, you know, you have these, these working groups that, that are actually doing their own research, you know, since there's a complete lack of research about drugs and how to mitigate the symptoms of the disease. So you have ACT UP uh, actually cr uh, creating these working groups that are focused on treatment prevention, uh, treatment, uh, no, particularly treatment. And, and so the Spanish language committee you know, one of the first things that became uh, apparent is that, like, well, you know, in New York, like, huge swaths of the population are, are uh, you know, Spanish speakers and, you know, and only speak Spanish. You know, you're talking about, like, Queens, you know, parts of Harlem, the Bronx, and all of this information was being withheld from them. So 
the first order of priority was translating all this information. And so you have like people like uh, uh, Moises Agosto, um, uh, Luis Santiago, uh, I believe Cesar Carrasco as well. Like you had a small group of, uh, of, of people that were basically translating all the stuff that was coming out of these groups that were um, doing um, treatment, sort of uh, producing treatment materials, and then also doing some prevention work, you know? Uh, and so they were translating all this stuff. And so then what happens is by 1990, you have these Latinos that are in these different working groups, then some of them are translating stuff, but it becomes very apparent that even though this is sort of an anarchic sort of structure, that there are gaps, very clear gaps in, uh, in how the movement is directing its attention uh, and the discussion, you know, around the needs, uh, uh, you know, the immediate needs. And so they, they felt, people felt that there was uh, sort of a, an ignorance, you know, and an, an um, unwillingness to center the needs of uh, Latinx, Latino people uh, in the crisis in New York. And in New York, I mean, this is particularly important because Latino and Black, uh, and black folks were far, you know, far more likely to, to contract uh, uh, HIV AIDS, even, even back then, you know, like it, HIV was devastating um, the Bronx, the South Bronx, devastating. By 1990, uh, it was the number one killer of, of, of young women, you know, between, between the ages, I believe, of 15 and 24. The highest number of pediatric AIDS, AIDS deaths, um, children under five years old, were Latino kids in New York. But I mean, so, uh, so these are all like things that are so present in the minds of these uh, Latino members of ACT UP, but are not getting any, uh, any airtime. It's something they're really struggling to, 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 um, to get the rest of the group to really care about and be involved in. So the way that ACT UP worked is that there was a meeting, there would be meetings every Monday. And at these meetings, people would go up and present to the floor. You know, and that's how that's how ideas would be generated. They would present to the floor, and then the and then as a whole, ACT UP would decide on okay, we fund this, we direct our energies to this. So within that system, Latino issues were being sort of uh, sidelined. Um, so then, uh, 1990, um, 1990, the first meeting is held uh, at the house, I believe, of a. Uh, of uh, a Chicano called Joe Franco, I believe it, 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 um, it's Joe Franco, and um, and so that's when the ball starts rolling, um, and very quickly on, decisions were made that would have big ramifications, um, and you know I think by the second meeting it was decided that it, this was not going to be a working group. It wasn't something that people could just join, leave, you know, like people, you know, it, it wouldn't have that fluidity. So they decided that it was going to be a caucus and it would be defined for Latino people and people that were working around Latino issues, you know, and, uh, and what's more that the meetings were going to be um, uh, held in Spanish. So these are very, you know, very political moves. Uh, and yeah, and kind of they, they define uh, the work that's done within the Latino caucus for, you know, for, for the following four years. So I mean, the Latino caucus 
is really only in existence for four years. 19, by 1994, uh, you know, it, it's over. And I would say that really from 1990 to 1990 to late 1981 is really the, the meat of when, uh, where, um, the energy and like the you know that that sort of uh, spirit that they that drive that they had really um, manifested into uh, amazing political action. So, how did you first get interested in this topic? How, you know, how did this come across your lap, so to speak, where you really were like, "Holy smacks, this is what this is what I want to work on as a memory activist. This is my next project." Sure, sure. Yeah, and I, yeah, I think that um, ACT UP has always been fascinating. Actually, my, my like I, the AIDS, the AIDS movement in general, I find really, really interesting because I feel like it galvanized, like the support of so many different sectors of society that were marginalized, that would have never really come together, you know, in another realm, you know, uh, but with a sense of urgency. That, that's always been super, super interesting to me. Um, but yeah, so, but ACT UP for me, like, you know, in, uh, as a young gay, gay man in college in, in Canada, I, you know, I had heard about ACT UP. I had, I had read a few articles. There was a, the ACT UP Oral History Project, which is this online archive of, uh, of interviews. So I was well enveloped, you know, by the time I, uh, you know, I moved to New York, I, I, I totally knew about ACT UP. Like, yeah, ACT UP had already become like this sort of like, I guess for people like me, you know, uh, gay, gay, cis, man, somewhat, you know, in pursuit of education is something that you knew. It was on your radar, you know, it was mm -hmm. because then you, you had this whole kind of like, and I think that's kind of important because like how it, it had been sold to me was that it was like these pretty dudes, you know, like doing some very radical stuff in very kind of stylish ways. Like they were like, there was a look, you know, the, the leather jackets, you know, the dark arms, yeah. shorts, like it was sexy, you know? And so I was like, yeah, this is great, it's amazing. But so when it becomes a thing for me, like I think is my first year in, um, my first year in my media studies program at the new school, I was in an urban archeology span class taught by, an amazing professor called Shannon Mattern, who's still there. And, um, pro and we had a, this project that was basically creating an online, a digital project that related to media in New York. You could tell, telling the story through media. So it could be archival stuff, you know, all kinds of different things. And I, I hadn't chosen my, my topic. I was actually debating whether to do something around uh, the Harlem Renaissance and queer spaces in the Harlem Renaissance. I was like, I had already written like my, I had submitted like my, my proposal for this. And then one night, I probably week, like I, I, I ended up in, in Hell's Kitchen at the Ritz, which is like this, you know, the super well-known uh, gay bar in Hell's Kitchen. And I was just like having a drink and ACT UP showed up. ACT UP showed up and they were doing because ACT UP is still, is still around, you know? I, by this point, I'm talking about like 2012, to, you know, they, they, were, they were not as active as they are now. Uh, so there had been a dip in membership, but they, they showed up and I was like, oh yeah, yeah awesome. They were doing some, something around the, the, Obama, uh, the Obama election campaign, you know, 2012. And 
then this guy came up to me, this older this man, this man came up to me, gave me a flyer, and you know, you know, it was like very much, you should definitely come. And I was like, no, I've up, I've been super, super interested. I've always wanted anyway. He dropped, he's like, I used to be in the Latino caucus. And I was like, what? What Latino caucus? Like, I've been through the ACT UP World History Project. I've read my stuff, you know, like, pretty well educated, you know, when it comes to ACT UP and HIV. By that point, I had even already, I had already worked at UNAIDS. I had an internship at UNAIDS, which is the UN HIV AIDS program. Uh, my boss was in a very known ACT UP activist, Eric Sawyer. You know, he's super well-known, like he's on TV all the time. I was like, how do I not know that there was a, a fucking Latino <laughs> And so and then I was like, all right, like, give me more details, more information, you know? Uh, he, he gave me his email. He gave me a, a couple names to look up online. So I, as soon as I got home, I looked him up. Nothing. No, yeah, there was really nothing. There was really nothing online. Uh, the only thing that I, uh, I, I mean, I managed to uh, to to find was the, the NYPL definitely had the the ACT UP um, archives, and they had digitized a couple of posters, but there was no context. You know, they had the New York Public Library. Yeah, the New sorry, the New York Public yeah. Library, uh, and so and so then I was like. Damn, all I really had was like these names, you know, these names that, that, that Ricky, uh, Ricky Rivera uh, gave me. So I think, so basically I, I had the, the, the list of names and I had his contact. So it really started, the project started with uh, the idea that I was going to develop this online mapping project where I was going to go to the archives, digitize the materials of the Latino caucus, and use Ricky as uh, a sort of primary source, and then and at the same time try to track down these other these other people, you know, that were you know hopefully alive. We didn't, he didn't really keep in touch. He hadn't really kept in touch, so we didn't know who was alive or not, you know. And so that's that's uh, that's what we did. And you know, we managed to. I managed to by the end, even because that was like just a semester, but I managed to create an entire, you know project where I mapped out demonstrations. I told a story of the transnational activism, which is a part of, you know, that I'm really interested in how the Latino caucus was involved in other countries and mobilized mm. uh, uh, other countries, uh, HIV response. Um, and then also, you know, I, I integrated these oral his this oral history, mostly from Ricky and uh, this other person called uh, Jim Jimmy Lopez. Even though I didn't get to in, in incorporate other voices in terms of the, the oral history into this project, I did manage to get the word out there that I was doing this. And it started sort of people started emailing each other. I started, you know, like yeah. getting, that, uh, getting the word out there. You know, I was, I was uh, probably, probably being a bit creepy because I was like, you know, adding people. <laughs> but I, I would write, you know, like I think Moise was one of the first people I was like, yo, because he's very, you know, He's a visible person, and as I said, I was like, "Yeah, we says, you know." Then, and then other people. So that, that that's how I kind of um, developed uh, out of out of uh, the recognition that this had completely been <laughs> ignored, you know. And by 2012, there had also already 
begun in New York, at least, a kind of a romantic nostalgia, some kind of a revisitation, let's say, I backed up. By 2012, by 2013, 14, you had like, fucking urban outfitters, you know, act up, silence equals death, shirts, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. By 2012, you had already had, the new museum had already, uh, I remember like, you know, they, they, they had the silence equals death, you know, thing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, pride so there was already interest, but I was like, yo, but wh- why, where's the Latino culture? Mention of, of, uh, and which is still the case, you know, there's very little mention of Latinos in, in act up, very little mention of, of black folks, even though there, there was a, uh, a minority majority coalition and the women's, co- you know, there was also women's caucus, you know, very little mention of that. I think now I feel like this year is going to be key because a lot of work is being done this year. Uh, so, so there's a shift, but, uh, but, but very fundamentally, basically, if somebody was interested in finding out about Latino involvement in ACT UP, there just wasn't anything digitized. And, and and that is why you're here, Julian. And you've been doing this for almost nine years. And yeah. I'm going to out you, which means that back then you were 27. So you were, yeah. you know, relatively a baby. And I remember um, some of the, you know, I know some of the caucus members and they were like, yeah, he's young and he's cute. So, you know, they wanted all to talk to you. And you, you really, really not just, you know, made... Give, gave them the space because they recognized that ACT UP was not telling their stories. They Many of them knew that, but you took the time. Nobody was paying you to do this. This was a school project that became a lifetime project for you because I know it's going to be more than 10 years. And, you know, somehow, why, why did you so young, why is it important for young people to get involved in our histories as Latinx people, as Latinx LGBTQI people, what, what, why was it important? I think it's so important because I think of um, I think of of us. You know, if you're going to talk about Latino queer people, our collective mental health, the way that we respond to crises, um, the way that we respond to everyday kind of, uh, you know, microaggressions, you know, I think it's, it's rooted in, my interest is, is rooted in really raising the, 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 the self-esteem and the sense of solidarity and knowledge of where you come from, you know? I think that like, for example, you know, uh, rates of infection uh, for white gay men, you know, went down significantly, you know, like that, 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 but rates for infection for black and Latino men um, have remained disproportionately high. To this day. To this day. Yes. And so I really believe that there's an oblivion that lends itself to, um, to people not feeling that they're part of a community that cares about them, that has cared for them, and that has cared for their future. I mean, people were doing this in the 80s because they cared about us today, you know what I mean? And and, and, and the reality is that, like, it's an oblivion in terms of memory, because, you know, in terms of, like in, like, in reality, those people are still 
working in the field. They're still working in public health, like those state activists. Most of them are still working in the field. A lot of them went on to create the foundations of what was the AIDS response in New York City for Latino folks. And also, even beyond that, they went on to create um, uh, media infrastructure for LGBT folk, you know, like magazines, um, shows, like the first uh, LGBTQ Latino show on public access television came out of the Latino caucus, you know, uh, and it ran for nearly 10 years. Pause in Espanol, the first uh, magazine for, uh, you know, directed towards HIV positive Latino people uh, also came out of the, the Latino caucus. So, I mean, I call it a memory issue because like those things in terms of infrastructure have had an impact, you know, that, imp that infrastructure is still, you know, giving us a lot of things today. But we as a community, as, you know, Latino folks, as Latino LGBTQ folks, but then also just as Latino folks, we don't, there's like a disconnect, you know? So whereas, whereas white folk can really um, lift up their narratives, they can regurgitate their narratives, they can like, they know where they come from, they know that who their heroes are, they know, you know, um, they know like, uh, yeah, they, they have a, a, a solid understanding of, uh, of their movement and their activism. I feel like we don't. And I think that there's a lot of potential uh, for that, for, uh, for, for memory work and memory projects um, in, in, in public health, uh, in, in uh, community mobilization, community movements, you know, uh, which I think is, 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 is happening. I think particularly in public health, I, I think it, it's something that really interests me. So, yeah. so I, I don't know. Does that answer your question? I feel like that's <laughs> to come first. Well, and I, and I love how you were just touching on this stuff, and so it like made me think that if we're if we ourselves are not documenting our own history here, no no one else obviously is doing it. And it's so important to be able to Google like our heroes. So if you're not able to Google this, how are they going to become well-known? So they can be, you know, someone's next hero, right? And it's like erasing our history is literally erasing our identity and our roots and who we are in the country in the future. So and, and it, it's really under, I mean, whoever is really doing it is doing a great job, but undermining our ability to come together as a community and really kind of reverse some of these things that you're talking about. Because how can our rates, and you never hear anything about our infection rates anymore. And I'm sure that's got a mess. I mean, when you say it, messes with my brain. Like, how is it possible? Like, the crisis in inner cities across the country on HIV rates for black and brown folk is real. It didn't go away in the 90s. And it it's, it's, very and it's frightening, right? It's yeah. frightening. Like, it's on top of everything else. This, the same sort of, like, areas of work that the Latino caucus um, uh, targeted are the exact same uh, critical gaps that are existing today. You know, it's, it's, still, it's a direct thorough line. Give me one or two, give me a few examples of that and how it's, you know, what they were doing. How is it like really still happening today and how is still people doing, you know, fighting it? I mean, 
first thing that comes to mind is, of course, immigration, you know, and access and access to health, you know, something that we saw uh, during the pandemic as, as well, you know, um, huge swaths of, of, of people that feel that they can't trust the health system, that they can't trust the government, uh, you know, um, in in uh, in the 80s and 90s, um, the government uh, implemented uh, immigration uh, restrictions for people that were uh, HIV positive. You know what I mean? So I believe that was 1987, where the um, the ban there was, uh, uh, you know, uh, there was. Was it the no? The travel ban is 1993, but there's a there's a ban in 1987 for people that want to immigrate to the U.S. So after 1987, if you were HIV positive, you could not immigrate to the U.S. Um, and uh, and it became a systematic way of filtering people that could immigrate. Right. So a part of the Part of the process, yeah, even up until recently, that was true, like I think up until 2011, 2012, um, that if you, part of the immigration process was an HIV uh, screening test. So this is something, for example, that 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 Latino Caucus was uh, very active about, you know? This, this is the kind of demonstration, for example, that would, would have been led by the Latino Caucus mostly Latino people that would show up to these demonstrations. The other members of ACT UP wouldn't always show up, but that was something that was very particular to uh, the Latino caucus, was like uh, like, like um, showcasing um, like how detrimental those policies were to the Latino communities in where immigration was, uh, was, uh, was, uh, was an issue, you know, in terms of reuniting family members, in terms of like, what if you were already HIV positive, in, in, in the country and you were undocumented and then all of a sudden in 1987, this, <laughs> this new law passes and so then you're like kind of in limbo. Then you're like, oh, am I never gonna be able to naturalize? You know what I mean? That was true for a lot of people. And then you had all these people that were like in, you know, in, uh, in Puerto Rico or no, well, I mean, Puerto Rico is, is, is not a good example, but like in other countries that were coming to New York because they wanted um, uh, access to some of these early medications, but then they were HIV positive, so they couldn't immigrate legally, so they would come, you know, they would be undocumented, but it would, it would be like a cycle, it would trap them, you know? Then in 1993, uh, they passed the travel ban, so which, like, if you want, if you were HIV positive um, and wanted not to immigrate, but just to visit the U.S., you would have to ask for a travel waiver. And you would literally have to go to the consulate and embassy. There was like a whole bureaucratic process to do this. And, and that was in place until uh, 2011, 2012, something like that. Um, so again, so, uh, and, 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 and nowadays, um, you know, these things, you know, like that's exactly what happened with COVID-19, you know, like the first communities that were, uh, that were impacted uh, were, you know, Latino, Black communities, but, but the Latino communities, again, because of this, this um, this sort of contentious relationship with institutions, um, and uh, and even to this day, like all these, like oh, now, I mean, if you are, I mean, I my my, my boyfriend is uh, is uh, Colombian, 
uh, he's H1B, H1B visa holder. He can't leave the country right now because there's no way that he can come back. So, you know, it's really interesting how we got into this topic because, you know, Kamala Harris just went Guatemala. and basically told people not to come here and, and talking about root causes of some of these issues, right? And I'm like, the root cause is the U.S. government and the CIA. How about that being the root exactly. cause of why so many people still need to flee right their country of origin and so you know and so i think about like you know che or what happens in bolivia costa rica dominican republic i mean up and down latin america you see this u.s intervention like really decimating like our peoples so i don't know if you wanted to touch a little bit about that absolutely and i think that's that's very inter interrelated with like um with uh, the issue of migration, because the Latino caucus is one of the reasons that, that I, I'm so in love with the story as well as because it, it's diversity. Again, uh, it's an example of like this incredibly intersectional um, uh, movement that's Latino. You know, you have like men, women, gay, straight, you know, um, and incredibly international, you know. Uh, you know, incredibly diverse in, in terms of its U.S. Uh, participants. So you had Puerto Ricanos, you had New Yorkans, you had um, uh, Chicanos, but then you had all these immigrants, you know, uh, from Chile, Peru, Argentina, Colombia, um, and that they all take, you know, uh, leadership roles within the organization. Um, and this is such, uh, uh, you know, an important sort of, distinction because they have a sense of um they have like a shared experience of and perspective i would say as well of uh colonization and a, a post-colonial analysis and a shared experience of also of 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 that era of the 1960s 1970s 1980s of military dictatorships of u.s intervention uh, and of, uh, of uh, in some and in some cases of civil war, you know, um, and so th that is a shared experience, shared analysis, and it, what I think is really awesome is that it mixes in really well with the sovereigntist Puerto Rican uh, legacy as well, you know, like it becomes like this like great you know like recipe you know for for um, a particularly progressive take on what's happening with the AIDS crisis. This shared sort of like, they had learned, a lot of them had learned um, vocabulary and tactics from their experience in, in Latin America and brought it to the table to act up. It was a very distinct personality and one that came with controversy, right? And one that, that also, that, that within the larger organization became controversial um, and became uh, distinct in what they were advocating for. And going back, though, to, to your uh, question about this international kind of element to it, I think, yes, I think that's something that's super interesting is that they uh, were always very concerned with how HIV-AIDS was uh, manifesting in Latin America and wanting to shed light uh, on those issues. So, I mean, I can give uh, uh, maybe an example or two of how this, this, this uh, 
this um, came up. So, um, 19, uh, 1990, um, uh, uh, Carlos Menem, uh, who was the, the president of Argentina at the time, um, uh, had denied um, this, uh, this organization called Comunidad, uh, Comunidad Homosexual Argentina. Uh, they had den- he had denied uh, them a legal status. And uh, CHA, Comunidad Argentina, had been very active um, in LGBT rights in the country, but then had also been very active in providing services for HIV positive people in, in the country. Um, and so uh, Alfredo Gonzalez, who is today a medical anthropologist and who uh, is, uh, was a very active member of, um, of, uh, of Latino Caucus, um, presented to ACT UP this you know, proposal to mobilize in solidarity with CHA. Um, and so he had the, the backing of the Latino Caucus because by 1990, Latino Caucus already existed, but the rest of ACT UP was like, why, like, why, why? And, and, the, and the thing was, Carlos Benham was coming to New York, um, was coming to New York, and so it was a, an opportunity to, uh, to do something around this. So in the end, um, they staged a demonstration in front of the consulate uh, that attracted media, and there's footage of this, you know, uh, actually one of the... Okay, we are back after... Um, that dropped out of the sky. Go ahead, Julian, you were saying? Yeah, sorry, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, I was telling you about the demonstration that the Latino caucus uh, did in front of the Argentine consulate. And so it got significant media attention. Um, and uh, and the, um, the consul general took note and invited the Latino caucus the following day uh, to talk about the, uh, the issue of... Um, of granting legal status to talk. Um, and it's so it's so interesting because they were in some ways, you know, like playing international politics, you know, like this this small, you know, d- direct action, uh, you know, became, but on the radar of, um, of, uh, of the president of Argentina. Then Carlos Menem, like six months later, visits Columbia University uh, and gives a talk and then the Latino caucus shows up again. Sure. Yeah, and they make a they, and they make a, you know their their voices heard again, pressuring Amenem in person. And he and he said that he was already aware of the situation. He said this like in front of SIPA, uh, which is like the International um, Affairs Program at Columbia University. Anyway, um, the, uh, the Latino caucus also got act up to um, to approve the buying of ad space in La Nación, Nina's biggest, you know, paper. So yeah. they bought ad space in La Nación around this issue. You know, so act up like, but again, that, that was very much a, a Latino caucus type of, uh, of initiative. Um, anyway, I would say that like in ACT UP, there were always detractors that didn't understand why this would be something that ACT UP should be supporting or investing money in. Uh, it took thousands of dollars to support both of these initiatives. So that's all that this is an example of that contention, you know, of trying to be uh, heard, seen, and to have that trust, gain that trust. 
And I would say also because of the activists in, act, in the Latino caucus had this experience with, um, uh, and this, this uh, taste for um, more progressive language and more uh, maybe even, yeah, I'm not sure if Marxist is the right word, but this, this lens of, um, this lens of post-colonialism, uh, anti-racism and um, anti-imperialism, I think that, that they would agree with that. Um, that that in itself was always um, um, kind of contentious and not 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 always welcome in in in, in large parts of, uh, of 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 the mainstream act up. Um, so yeah, so I'll wrap it up with that. You know, uh, that's just one example of, of of the ways that that they engaged in transnational activism, but they did so much more. You know, it's so interesting because right at the beginning, you know, so we're closing the podcast. I, I got confused for a second if your stories were from the past or from the present, because we are exactly, you know, dealing with the same situations and the reactions are seeing, you know, the same and the angry black or the angry Latino man or woman, right? And it continues to be the same rhetoric and it doesn't yeah. change, right? And go ahead. I'm sorry. I would say what I think is really interesting is that a lot of these things that were so key to uh, to the Latino caucus that other members were uh, weary about. So again, talking about um, access to healthcare for black and brown people, um, just immigration uh, system, um, uh, like uh, mental health um, and um, uh, stigma. These are things that the Latino caucus would say other, other, uh, the women's caucus as well, were very focused on. Um, those in the past year have proven to be such key issues to understand the 19 pandemic. So, I mean, their legacy, even though at the end of the day, I think that like at the end of the day, the story with ACT UP continues to be like drugs into bodies. They, you know, they were active. In, in getting uh, pharmaceutical companies um, to develop drugs. They were effective in getting um, certain politicians to, to put it uh, on their platform. I think that these longer standing structural issues that the Latino caucus was fighting for, um, you know, are now at least more discussed in a more mainstream kind of way, you know, like these disparities, you know, in racial disparities of COVID-19, you know, like that was a headline for, you know, how many months, you know, during, during, uh, during the pandemic. And I think, yeah, that, that's the thing, like, but activists have been pointing out these gaps for decades, mm-hmm. but they were, they were not being heard. They were not being taken seriously. And it just goes to show that that was true even in, in these movements, you know? You know, the, the Latino, this is why we're talking today. And, you know, as we close, it, I go back to the beginning that the reality dysfunction loves to talk about what happened in the past because it is still very relevant. The same concerns and realities are very much happening. Demonstrations, immigration, transnational activism, all of that is happening right now with the same conversations, with the same issues, right? So we want to thank Julian De Mayo for your wonderful work. Please don't ever stop. I want to thank all our 
uh, reality dysfunction co-hosts, those that were here and those that were not, and to our awesome, real, but dysfunctional listeners, wherever you are in this, our indigenous land, we look forward to future podcast guests who will share their personal stories, our Latinx histories of LGBTQI plus Latinx, Latino communities in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Mexico, all of Latin America and its diasporas, including some of the Latino Latina Caucus members. So as we, the Reality Dysfunction, continue to celebrate Summer Pride Months and event, we want to thank you for your time. Follow us in Facebook. And as always, fuck Latinos for Trump. Hasta la próxima, wey. Paz. Gracias. Muchas gracias. This is the Reality Dysfunction.